This morning's passage comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And for this light, momentary affliction is is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, good morning and happy Easter to you all. Uh, If you don't have your Bible there already, I invite you to turn to that passage. We'll get there in just a moment. Uh, I want to start by showing you a picture. I don't know if you saw this in the news this week. Uh, there's a lot going on in this photo. This is not a picture of you guys as you got your kids ready and out the door this morning. Uh, this is a different marathon that took place up in Boston, uh, Boston Marathon here. And uh, this guy's name is Micah Herndon. And he, uh, he's been running for a number of years. He's ran a few marathons. But uh, over the course of this particular marathon, it got really hot and humid. And he began to cramp up and his legs locked up. And around mile 23 or so, he hit the ground. And he kept getting up and falling down again, getting up and falling down again. And eventually he got to the end and it was captured on social media. And and they kind of took pictures of him as he was crossing the line there. He crawled his way across the finish line. It's a real picture of perseverance in that moment there. And so, of course, once he got across the finish line, uh, reporters rushed to him. They wanted to know what kept you going and how did you how did you keep after it as your body was fighting against you, as hope was seemingly lost, as you, you seem to have so much in front of you and so little chance of going on. And it turns out this guy is a, a, a combat veteran of the U.S. Marines and he, he is a Marine in every sense of the word. And he was, he was running as he does all of his races in honor of three of his comrades that didn't make it back. And so he had their names on his shoes. He, he was repeating their names as he took each, uh, crawling step. And he's, he's just been telling the world about him. I, 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 re- I really appreciated his story. One of the guys that, that he was running in honor of is, is from my home state and pretty close to, to where I'm from. And so uh, it's a neat story here. Micah Herndon, uh, this picture of perseverance. And I thought of it this week because that passage that Randy just read for us is a picture of perseverance as well. And we've been walking through 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4 the last month or so. And we've heard the Apostle Paul defend his ministry. We've heard him uh, defend his integrity. We've heard him uh, declare that, that he believes that the new covenant message that he is bringing, that he has brought to the Corinthians, holds power to transform their lives. And then here we, we, we heard in that passage how he's declaring his intention to persevere despite all that he is facing. Uh, last week, Aaron led us 
through the passage before this where we heard about all the different things Paul is encountering, all these great trials. And we hear him here in verse 16 say what he said at the beginning of chapter 4, we do not lose heart. That's a statement of perseverance. And so this passage gives us an opportunity to kind of get inside his mind and ask some of those same questions those reporters asked Micah Herndon last week. How did you keep going? And what was in your head and what was going through your heart as you pressed on in the face of such adversity? How did you persevere? And so we've got six verses here we're going to look at, and I see in each of them a a particular reason why we as Christians can persevere in this life, why we cannot lose heart. And I don't know, I don't know where you're at in this moment coming into this room. I I don't know if if you're running. I, I don't know if you're starting to slow down. I don't know if you're in the midst of a season where you feel like you're just kind of crawling through. You look great, by the way. You all look great. Most of you look great. All of you clearly tried, and I appreciate that. But I just want to be honest with you in that this passage is going to confront us with some realities that are, on the one hand, hard to hear, and on the other hand, really the sweetest thing we could think about this morning, the hope that keeps us going in this life. So there are three promises here that we must hope in, and there are three perspectives that we must maintain. So we're going to look at six different things, and and, and for each one, we're just going to kind of start with the idea of we do not lose heart because, and I've got six different ways to end that sentence from this passage. So here's the first one. We do not lose heart because we are not alone. We do not lose heart because we are not alone. Look at verse 13 there. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith, According to what has been written, so this is Paul, and he's looking back to the example of someone else who has suffered before him and persevered in faith. And then he quotes Psalm 116 there in, uh, in uh, verse 13. This is Psalm 116. The psalmist said, You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So, Way back then, the psalmist was recounting a time in his life when he persevered through pain, when he he trusted God in the midst of a great trial. And like the psalmist, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians here, he had survived a recent brush with death. We read about it in chapter 1 of this letter. And like the psalmist, he wants to go on speaking the truth even as he suffers. And so he says we have this same disposition of wanting to trust the Lord through our trials. And the promise here is that we're not alone when we suffer. Others have persevered before us, and so can we. There's a a great picture of this in the book Pilgrim's Progress. It's that that classic allegory of the Christian life. And the, the main character's name is Christian. And he's going through this journey and everything in the world he's walking through represents realities that the scripture teaches us about. And in this particular scene, he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you may not know a thing about the Bible, but you probably recognize that phrase, the valley of the shadow of death. And it's as bad as it sounds in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. He, he paints a very bleak picture. 
Christian is walking through this valley and, and there's, a, there's a pit on each side. It's a narrow path. He can hear the cries of hell. He can feel the flames. He's scared. He's scared to death. A real sense of the word. But then he, he sees something up ahead. He actually hears it first and then he sees it. He sees this other pilgrim. And, and he hears what the pilgrim is reciting. And you may recognize this from Psalm 23. The other guy is saying, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And Bunyan said, as Christian heard that and he saw that and he realized this guy's up there, which means he came through here. He was comforted. And he thought to himself, if God could help him persevere through even this and get to the other side, then he can help me too. I think that's what Paul means in verse 13. He says, we have the same spirit of faith. It's just like the psalmist who said, even as I suffer, I'm going to keep on speaking truth. So Paul recognizes there's this long line of persevering pilgrims, and we who are trusting in Christ today are merely following in their footsteps. So that's the first reason we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart because we are not alone. Second reason is this, and it's very appropriate to mention on Easter Sunday. We do not lose heart because Christ is risen. Because Christ is risen. Verse 14, Paul says, Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. So Paul's speaking about the resurrection of Christ, which he calls the first fruits. In another letter, he called Him the firstborn of the dead. It means the resurrection of Christ that we sing about and celebrate this morning is the beginning. It's not the last resurrection. It's merely the beginning. It's the gateway into eternity. And someday, Paul says, those who are in Christ, those who are trusting Him now, will be raised with Him and presented to God. And that promise, that hope, that Easter Sunday hope was central to Paul as he tried to persevere through all he faced. This is how he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. You may recognize this passage. He said, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. As you guys who are part of Midlands, you may remember the last time we read this passage together. I do. It was back in October. I had just preached a sermon on how God led the people through the sea, through the Red Sea, the book of Exodus. It was a hard sermon to preach because it was a hard week in the life of our church. That week, the, the trailers had gotten news from Judah's doctor that his cancer was returning. He said he's going to need another bone marrow transplant. He's going to have to go back through the whole process he had gone through two years prior. And, and Hart texted me that week. We had that news, and we were all reflecting on it. And, and all week, I was, in, I was in Exodus trying to make sense of how... God led us, led his people through the sea for his glory. And 
I took such great comfort in that myself and thinking about the trailers. I know it meant a lot to them. It was all I could do to kind of get through that sermon that day. And then we got to the benediction. I hadn't looked at it before we got up here. And I came up to read the benediction at the end of the sermon, and it was these words. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. But this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And you guys who are part of this family know that we, we saw God do something amazing in the months ahead between that day and this day. This morning we get to tell Judah Happy Easter. <laughs> and every time we see him bouncing around back there from donut table to donut table, <laughs> we're, we're, reminded, we're reminded who holds power over life and death. The resurrection of Christ is God's promise that He is greater than the grave. That's who He is. That's the power He holds. So we do not lose heart because Christ is risen. That's number two. Here's number three. We do not lose heart because our suffering has purpose. I think one of the most comforting things we can remind each other of as Christians as we watch each other suffer is that God has a purpose for what we're going through. I love the way Paul puts this in verse 15. Again, he's reflecting on all that he's going through. You can read about it in verses 8 and 9. You can read about it some more in chapter 12 of this book. He went through a lot. And then he says in verse 15, to the Corinthians, it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So he sees two purposes for his suffering. On the one hand, it was for the sake of the Corinthians. Back in chapter 1, after that verse we just read, Paul talks about how they were comforted in that season when they had that near brush with death. He says, we were comforted so that we could then comfort others with the same comfort we received. Right? So in other words, God let us go through this season of great difficulty so that in His grace He could comfort us for your sake, Corinthians, so we could now extend that comfort to you. And so one purpose of Paul's suffering is for the sake of the Corinthians. The second purpose is for the glory of God. As his grace extends to more and more people. And, and those who are far from him see these crazy people who trust in the Lord when they lose everything. And they go, what do they have that I'm lacking? And God's grace advances in this world. And it's to his glory, but it's through our pain. It's through our suffering. So it, it may not always be helpful for you to ask, why is this happening to me? But I think a safe question you can always ask is, for whose sake is this happening to me? Paul said, we went through all of this for your sake. You ask yourself, who might benefit through my, from my perseverance through this trial? How might God extend His grace through my endurance? How might I comfort others with the comfort I receive in this season? So your suffering, even today, 
Even today, your suffering right now may be for someone else's sake. And for that reason, we don't lose heart because our suffering has a purpose. Now, I think all three of those are promises. I think Paul tells us we're not alone. That's a promise from God to us. You're not the first person to go through this valley. And you're not going to be the last. And so you need to be looking behind you and figuring out whom you can encourage as you persevere. And the hope in the midst of all of that is the promise that Christ has risen and that someday we will be raised with Him in glory. Those three promises then provide a foundation for what I call these three perspectives uh, that we need to maintain as we aim at perseverance. And we see those in that next paragraph there, 16, 17, and 18. So in verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So the, the fourth purpose then, the fourth way in which we persevere is we do not lose heart because we are being renewed. That's what verse 16 tells us. Back in verse 1, Paul said, we do not lose heart because we have this ministry. One commentator pointed out at that point, Paul was comforted by what God was doing through him. He was saying, I'm not quitting because I possess this ministry and I see the good God is doing. I see what he is doing through me. Here in verse 16, he says, we don't, do not lose heart and it's because of God, what God is doing in him. Even if I don't see the fruit, even if I don't see lives changed, even if it doesn't feel like it has a purpose, I'm going to maintain a perspective where I look inward and see the good work God is doing to renew me. And it's helpful here to distinguish in the way Paul does between what he calls the outer self and the inner self. I think this is more than just physical and spiritual, because if you look back up at verses 8 and 9 and the suffering that Paul endured, a lot of it was not actually physical. He talks about things like anxiety and feeling perplexed. Now, he was perplexed because People were persecuting him, and he was experiencing some physical pain. But we all know that you, you never just experience physical pain independent of the rest of yourself. And sometimes the hardest thing to endure in the midst of a season of suffering is the emotional trauma that accompanies it. Sometimes the hardest thing to endure is that question that lingers in your head of, why did God let this happen to me? Why is he doing this? Why isn't it getting better? All right, why do my prayers seem not to work? And so there's, there's this physical suffering, but there's this emotional, mental battle that we fight as well. And I think what Paul means by outer self is really everything that is wrapped up in us now that will not exist forever. One commentator said he means our creaturely mortality. It means everything that was created that's going to die. Our creaturely mortality. And in this life... Paul says that outer self is wasting away. It is decaying, like metal rusting away. But the inner self, that which will last forever, that which we cannot see, that's being renewed and prepared for eternity. He's going to unpack that in the verses ahead. Calvin said it like this. He said the decay is visible, the renovation is is unseen. You can't quite see it. 
But in some ways, we can see it. When I, I read this, I always, I always think of my mom. Um, my mom was, um, she was diagnosed with leukemia on my 22nd birthday. It was th- uh, 13 years ago, I guess. Um, yeah, 13 years ago. She was diagnosed in January with leukemia, and um, it was a brutal battle. She, she went home to be with the Lord the week of Mother's Day that same year. So, so four months. She went from healthy and, and happy and celebrating Christmas with my wife and I and our first Christmas of married life to getting a call from my dad to rush into the emergency room, to rush into the cancer center, to basically never coming back home again and spending the last four months of her life battling. And I watched her fight. I watched her fight. But I watched her outer self waste away. You could see it. Anybody could see it. You could see it on the, the faces of people as they would come to visit us. And, you know, they would, they would see her one month and then they'd come back a, a few weeks later. And, and you could see in their eyes that they could see that she had gotten worse. And it was about this time in 2006 that doctors looked at us and said, we've done everything we can do. There's, there's just no more. We don't have any weapons left. They said she's, I'll never forget the, the image. I've shared it with you guys before. They said she's, it's like she's laying on a track. His train is coming. And everything we're doing is just moving her down the line. We can't, we can't rescue her off of, off of that. And so we saw her outer self waste away. And it was brutal. But in the midst of that season... We also saw her inner self renew <laughs> day by day. We saw her get stronger in the Lord. My, my mom was a, a Christian when she got sick. I'm, I'm confident of that. But I, I've shared with you guys before, in, in my family and kind of where I'm from, we were on, a, on a, a nice cordial relationship with God. Maybe some of you can relate to this. Uh, we kind of visited God on Sunday uh, he spent time with us, we spent time with him, and then we left each other alone the rest of the week, you know. And so we were on good terms, we thought, uh, but we didn't really have a, an active daily life uh, living with him, experiencing him on a daily basis. And, and my mom was more mature than most of us, uh, certainly more mature than her son, but I mean, even just like in her generation, she was more mature than most of us in the faith. But, uh, but I think that was true of her as well when she got sick. And over the course of those months, as we watched her outer self waste away, we actually saw this curious process of her inner self becoming renewed, uh, stronger, uh, day by day. She, she grew in her relationship with the Lord in that season of, of suffering. I, I watched her, her grow in hope as hope was fading. I saw her trust the Lord as it seemed like there was no reason to continue to do so. And, and she and I had some conversations that, quite frankly, I'm not sure we would have ever had if she never got cancer. And so I've, I've watched this process play out in the life of my mom. And I, I know many of you have walked down similar paths with others whom you love. You may be in the midst of something like that even today. I just want to encourage us that we have to look beyond what we can see we have to trust what the work the Lord is doing. Because the outer wasting away 
is easy to spot. Anyone can see that. But to see that inner renewal takes eyes of faith. And we have to, we have to fight to see it. And so there, there are two more things I want to point out in this text. And these are things that they're not immediately visible to us. It's not obvious to us on a daily basis. We're going to have to actually choose to look away from some things and turn toward these other better things for the sake of persevering. So we do not lose heart because we are being renewed. And then fifthly, we do not lose heart because glory awaits us. Glory awaits us. In verse 17, Paul, uh, he, he gives us this kind of comparative statement, and it's as if he sets up a scale, and it sounds kind of crazy at first. He, he talks about your current afflictions, all the things that you're enduring. And he says, when you, when you lay them over next to the future glory, the glory that awaits the people of God, he said, there, there's no comparison. There's, there's no comparison. The, the uh, current afflictions, right now, they're weighing you down. They're, they're burdening you to the point of despair. But when you set aside on the other side of them, the eternal weight of glory, it's like the scale begins to change. And all of a sudden, those things that are weighing you down now seem light and momentary compared to that. The word he uses there is out of proportion. It's beyond all comparison. In other words, what we endure now is no comparison to what we will enjoy then. That's a sweet picture, but it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Our, Our afflictions rarely feel light to us in the moment. They feel like a heavy burden. I can think back to April 2006 when that doctor was saying that to my family about my mom. It did not feel light and momentary in that moment. I can think back to, to April 2010, uh, another good, good Friday when a doctor told my wife that the, the baby in her womb was not going to make it. It didn't feel light and momentary in that moment. And I don't know what you're enduring today, but I know some of you are carrying around some things that right now in this moment do not feel light. And they do not feel temporary. They feel like they're going to crush you. And Paul's not saying that you're misunderstanding that. He's not saying that those pains are not real. What he's saying we have to do is we have to step back and we have to check the scales. We have to We have to zoom out and take in a bigger picture and realize what God is doing. Right now, your burdens feel heavy, but when you put them next to the weight of glory, they're light by comparison. Right now, that thing you're enduring feels like it's never going to end, like it's going to crush you in the end. But when you put that next to the weight of eternity, it's going to feel light and momentary someday. The other thing he says there in verse 17 is that these afflictions are actually preparing this glory for us. So in other words, our present suffering helps us long for this eternal peace. The the cross comes before the crown, as we say. So we read Hebrews 12 at the beginning of the service. 
Jesus, we want to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We do not lose heart because glory awaits us. And that glory is no comparison when it's set up next to the things we're suffering through now. But in order to maintain that perspective, we need verse 18. We've got to hang on to all three of these. This isn't something where you just zoom in on one point, you check out of the other two, and things will be fine. You need to hold tight to all of this. So look at verse 18. He says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the the sixth point is we do not lose heart because we hope in the unseen. We hope in the unseen. So verse 18 gives some further explanation to the perspective described in verse 17. That, that light momentary affliction, it's what we see. That eternal weight of glory that's going to far outweigh it, that, that's no comparison, that's completely out of proportion better than it. We can't see that with our mortal eyes. So we have to remind ourselves that what we can see will not last. It's no trouble to see our suffering. We can look around and we can find evidence of that every day. You can think back to that phone call you got this week. You can think back to that bad news you read about. You can think about that that fear you have about what's coming next. You can think about that, that relationship you have that seems broken beyond repair. You can think about that hope you have that you fear will be left unfulfilled. You think through all of those categories of suffering and it seems like they will go on forever. It seems like we are just wasting away. It seems like the weight of the worry of this world will finally crush us in the end. That's what we see. But what we don't see, at least not with these eyes, is what Paul gets into here in the next chapter here, where he talks about how God is preparing for us a heavenly dwelling, an eternal home. And he's actually preparing us to go into it and to experience it. So we look not at the things we can see, but at the things we cannot see. And as a result, we do not lose heart. Now, I think this collection of promises and perspectives, these these six reasons for persevering, are a really good place to be on Easter morning. I mean, think about the disciples long ago. Think about what they could see and what they could not see. On Friday, they could see the cross, but they could not yet see the empty tomb. On Friday, they could see their Savior suffer, but they could not yet see Him resurrected. On Friday, they could see their fear. They could see their grief. They could see their hope seemingly go to the grave. But they could not yet see the joy and the glory that was soon to be revealed. So as Christians, we want to persevere. We want to follow in the footsteps of Paul and say, we will not lose heart because we hope in these things. But it's hard to keep our eyes fixed on something we cannot see. Can we just be honest about that? 
It's hard to maintain this kind of mentality, particularly when you're in the midst of a hard season. So as, as we begin to think about communion now, I, I want us to remember that in communion, Christ has given us something that we can see. All right, so in a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing a song. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing a song, and, and we're going to take communion together. And if you're a Christian and you're among us this morning, we invite you to take communion with us. And as you go to that table, here's what I want to say to you if you're trusting in Christ. If you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, and you're going to take communion with us, we've talked about how to persevere in the faith. And I don't know if you're going to get up and run to that table. I don't know if you're going to walk to that table. Some of you may feel like you're crawling to that table this morning. I wouldn't recommend it on these floors, but you're welcome to if you want to let that out. But what I want you to remember is that as you hold that physical, visible object in your hand, you take that bread and you dip it in that juice, let it remind you of all the glory you cannot yet see. We see that because there's so much unseen that awaits us. And may it help us to not lose heart as we crawl forward together. Now, if you're here today and, and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, can, can I just speak to you for a minute? Can I, get, can I have like two minutes of your attention? Here's, here's what I know. I know you see the suffering. I know you feel the pain. I know that you know that your outer self is wasting away. There's something about that phrase that just resonates in the human heart. You'll leave this service and you'll check your phone and you'll see a headline that reminds you this world is messed up. You'll lay your head on a pillow tonight and you'll have a thought that reminds you you are wasting away. And, and I get it. I, I know we are hoping in something that, as Christians, we cannot prove. We cannot hold on to. We can't just hand it to you and say, here it is. Come grab this, and now, now you're in. Now you get it. We are hoping in something that we cannot see. But that... That's where faith comes in. So I ask you this morning, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning with family or friends and you're hearing this message, you've probably heard it before. You've probably heard these kinds of things before. I just want to be honest with you and say, I know you know the suffering of this world. I know you feel it. So, so what might happen if you took a step forward in faith toward believing that there's a world to come? What if in the midst of all the pain and misery you can see, you took a step forward in faith toward something you cannot see? I think what you would find is that even though we can't lay this out in front of you in some way where you can just grab hold of it, in fact, I know what you would find. As you step forward in faith, what you would find is a God who has been holding you all along. A God who sees you, I promise you. 
He sees you better than you see yourself. He sees more suffering than you even recognize in this world. And he's willing to take you in even now. The scripture puts it like this, and we'll close with this. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That is the hope of glory unseen. And it's available to you even this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. And those of us who are trusting in that promise this morning, uh, we're going to take communion together. If, if you're not yet there, we'd encourage you to stay in your seats and not partake of communion. That wouldn't be appropriate to do, but I'd love it if you'd like to talk more about these things. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about it. And I promise you there are 100 people in this room that would love to talk to you too. So, so let me pray, and, and then the band's going to come and sing, and we're going to continue on with communion. Lord, the view on the other side is so good. It's so hard to describe. It is so good. Lord, for anyone here who's not hoping in these promises today, for anyone here who's considering giving up, for anyone here who thinks that this is, that the suffering they see is all there is, Lord, I pray in this moment that you would open their eyes to your glory. I pray that you would shine the light the knowledge of you and the face of Christ into their hearts even now. And I pray you would draw them into you that they might confess even now in these moments, Lord, I believe that you raised your son from the dead. I believe that my world and my life is broken and some of its brokenness is self-inflicted by me personally. And I confess that sin to you and I confess my need to you. Lord, I pray that they would pray that this morning. And Lord, for those of us who are hoping in that confession already today, I pray we would be renewed in our hope. Lord, help us to crawl forward. Sometimes it feels like we're not going to make it. Help us not to lose heart. Lord, help us to look to you who raise the dead. May we be comforted. May we endure. May we keep on believing and keep on speaking of your goodness, even as we suffer. And may your grace advance through us as we walk through this world. We pray these things in the great and powerful name of our resurrected King. Amen.